listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. So I have a word that I believe the Lord has given me for you. So um, at the beginning of this year in January, our women's retreat, I spoke a message and the message was 2023, the year of breakthrough. I believe that this year is going to be a major year of breakthrough for many people here at Freedom. Now, in that, people have our, we have our own ideas of what breakthrough is and what it should look like. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And uh, we're going to start off with Deuteronomy 31 and 6. It says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you and he will not leave you or forsake you. Now, when I read this, I was struck by the word them. And I was thinking, you know, what is them? So in studying this, I, was, I realized that Moses was encouraging the children of Israel about the wars of Canaan, which they were now involved. The war, what war are you engaged in right now? What them are you fighting? What wars are you fighting in your mind? Maybe in your family, maybe on your job. But God is telling that, what is it that God is telling you not to dread? How long have you been fighting them? Let me be Moses' voice of encouragement to tell you to hold on. Keep holding on. Keep walking because your breakthrough is coming. I'm telling you guys, he hasn't brought you this far to leave you where you are. So I want you to take a moment and look back at all the times that God has come through for, your, for you in your life and you didn't even realize it was God. Maybe it was time that you had favor. Someone like did something for you that they normally don't do for other people. Maybe you had finances that just like, you know, just miraculously appeared and you were able to pay the electric bill. You were able to go buy some bread and milk and eggs and cereal and hot dogs, you know, because that's kind of like what you do when you get and buy. You buy all the hot dogs and the bolognese and the day-old bread, right? That's what you do. Think about all those times that he showed up. Take a moment and start talking to yourself about that. Tell yourself, self, if God did it back then, he's going to do it again. The Bible says that you have to encourage yourself sometimes. Sometimes we don't have people around us who are a voice of reason, a voice of truth, a voice of an encouragement. So we have to go with the Bible says, gird up your loins with the word of God. You have to learn how to talk to yourself. You have to learn how to encourage yourself. Tell yourself that God is going to do it. Then you look up to heaven and you say, God, do it again, Lord. Do it again. Do it again. What is it that you're needing God to do it again? God, if you did it then, you're going to do it for me today. I'm telling you guys, your breakthrough is coming. It's coming. It's always exciting when you're on the brink of breakthrough. This is especially true when breakthrough relates to your purpose and you can feel the momentum building and you know things are about to change for the better. Right? You can just feel it's, it's about to get gooder. It's going to get gooder, y'all. Gooder, more better, gooder. It's going to get it. But it's easy to lose faith and hope when the wait for breakthrough appears endless, like it's never going to happen. Losing faith is the last thing you want to do because your breakthrough is just right around the corner. You only need to hold on and wait for the miracle. So let's talk about breakthrough for a minute.
people have, we all have a tendency to glorify what breakthrough looks like. Right? We're waiting for this big thing that God is going to do. Meanwhile, we're forgetting and looking past all the little miracles that are happening along the way. We're not seeing those. Because we're waiting for this big magnanimous thing. It's like we're waiting to win the lottery with God. If we can just win the lottery, oh God. The 161 million. Right, Giggs? If we could just win that. Jesus, if we could just win that, God, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay with my family. Everything's going to be okay with my friends. Life is going to be happy, and everything's going to work itself out. That's what we're waiting. We're waiting for that big breakthrough with God. And God's saying, look, I'm just providing you lunch today. I'm providing you money to fill up your gas tank so you can go to work tomorrow. That's a breakthrough, especially today. So we need to change our perspective on what breakthrough is. So Merriam-Webster defines it as this, as an instant of passing through a barrier or protection, a person's first notable success, an act or instance of moving through or beyond an obstacle. And I like this one the most. A sudden advance, especially in knowledge or technique. In knowledge or technique. Many times we're waiting on it. We're waiting on that big thing. Don't pass up the miracles along the way. So I'm going to break down what some breakthroughs can look like in your life that we just kind of look past. Breakthrough can be the change of perspective about how we think or what we say. Remember, it's a sudden advance, especially in knowledge or technique. Breakthrough can be a change in a relationship that went from not talking to one another to speaking amicably with one another. Remember, it's, move, it's, remember it's an act or instance of moving through or beyond an obstacle. Breakthrough can be the realization that, what we, that we have no real control over our lives and those around us. Breakthrough can be the realization of what you're doing or not doing is affecting someone else. Breakthrough can be a supernatural instant healing, or it can be healing through a surgery by a doctor who has been given wisdom by God himself. Breakthrough can be a relationship with your child that has been restored. Breakthrough can be a saved marriage. Breakthrough can be finding a church home after a long struggle of wrestling with God as to where he wants you. I'm here to tell you 2023 is going to be your year of breakthrough. I'm declaring that you will see it in so many different aspects of your life. And for some of you, it's going to happen instantly. And for others of you, it's going to be a gradual change. It's going to be a gradual breakthrough. We all like it to happen instantly, right? For some of us, if it happened instantly, we wouldn't recognize it. We wouldn't recognize it. Psalm 65, 11 through 13. You crown the year with a bountiful harvest. Even the hard pathways overflow with abundance. The grasslands, the grasslands of the wilderness become a lush past, pasture. And the hillsides blossom with joy. The meadows are clothed with flocks of sheep. And the valleys are carpeted with grain. They all shout and sing your joy. Isn't that a beautiful picture in your head? It's a great visual. But let's back up and grab this one word within all this beautiful visuals. 
The gra- uh, even the hard pathways overflow with abundance. Hard pathways. What hard path are you on right now that you can't see the lush pastures? You can't see the hills carpeted with the flocks and grain. What is it that you can't see? There is a hard way. Have you ever felt that surely God has forgotten about you and all your hopes and dreams have been dashed on the rock? Have you ever felt that you were just an outsider trying to live life of the fullness of Christ from the outside? I think we've all been there and perhaps you're there right now. Perhaps you're in a place where you think God isn't. Maybe you haven't felt God in a long time or maybe you haven't heard his voice in a long time. Sometimes because of life circumstances, the oppression of the enemy can overwhelm us and throw us into a hole of nothingness. Even though nothingness is only a perception, it's not a reality, it still affects our, per- our perception. And from the depression of oppression, we cry out, God, where are you? As we are waiting on our breakthrough. Let's pray. Jesus, be with us today, God. I'm asking you to be in this place where your sons and daughters have gathered to celebrate you. I pray that each heart is open to your word and that every ear is open to hear, God. I ask that your anointing would break every oppression and that you would open the eyes, their eyes, so they can see what's happening spiritually. I ask you to send the comforter to cover every heart so that it can be healed by the power of your love. Lord, I'm asking for the breaker's anointing on my life and my words that Every wall that has been built because of hurt would be broken today. I pray that each person who feels abandoned by people and by you would have a change of perspective and position themselves to receive encouragement and strength today. Today, restore hope, restore strength for the season that they are in. In your mighty name, I pray. Amen. So in waiting on breakthrough, I want to talk about two people in the Bible. The first one is Ruth. You can find Ruth's story in the book of Ruth. It's pretty easy. It's there. So I'm going to tell you who Ruth was. She came from, she was a Moabite. She came from the people, the Moabite clans. And she married into a Hebrew family. Her father-in-law died before she married into the family. And after about 10 years, her husband died and her brother-in-law died. Uh, So what it did is that it left their mother-in-law, Naomi. It left Ruth and Orpah the other sister-in-law, widows. So Naomi decided that she was going to go back to her homeland because they moved from their homeland to Moab because of a famine. Well, while there, their boys grew up and they got married. They married Moabites. And so um, after everybody had passed, Naomi's like, hey, I'm going back home. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. Uh, Ruth and Orpah, you guys need to go back to your daddy's house. And Orpah said, deuces, I'm out of here. I'm going back to daddy. That way I know I'm going to be taken care of. And Ruth said, what? No. And Naomi's like, yeah, you need to go because I'm going back to Bethlehem. Now, Ruth being in Naomi's house for 10 years, Ruth saw Naomi call on her Hebrew God. She saw her pray to her God. Ruth didn't have to think about the decision. She wasn't going back to an idol-worshiping, Infant sacrificing, child prostituting people. That's who the Moabites were. It didn't, she didn't have to think about it. She's like, oh no, I've seen you call on your Hebrew God. I've seen how he's answered your prayers. I want to be with you and your Hebrew God. 
And so in Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 18, this is what Ruth says to Naomi. Do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do to me the same as he has done for you or done to you. More also, if anything but death separates me and you. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. She said, girl, pack your bags. We about to hike it. You better put some shoes on your Tom and Jerry because we hiking back to Bethlehem. We got to go all the way back there. So she stuck with Naomi. And they made it back to Bethlehem. And Ruth began to work the fields just so they could eat. Now let me explain to you what working the fields looks like. So um, the custom of the day is that the poor people or the widows could, what they called it, glean the fields. They could work the fields on the, out, at the outer edges after the harvesters had worked the field. After the harvesters had went in and they gathered all the grain, then the poorer people could come behind them and pick up what was left over, what was dropped. And whatever little bit they could gra- gather, then they would take back and then they would make, you know, they'd make some bread or, you know, whatever they would make make him some raviolis, you know. They would make the food. And that's how Ruth and Naomi would eat for a while. So time doesn't tell us how long that she did this before Boaz. Boaz was the superintendent of the field. He was over all the workers of the field. He was a good guy. The workers respected him. He would eat lunch with them. When they would sleep uh, in the fields, Boaz would sleep with them. He was kind of like a true leader. He just wasn't said, y'all need to do this and y'all need to do that. He was with them. And so one day he noticed, who, uh, uh, who he noticed Ruth and he started asking, who is this lady over here? Who is she? Some say, I don't know who she is. She just showed up here, boss. She just showed up. And someone said, hey. She belongs to Naomi. That's Naomi's daughter-in-law. So Boaz is like, okay. So he started talking to all of his fellow workers. And he said, look, here's what you're going to do. You're going to allow Ruth to work alongside of you. She's just not to glean from the outer edges of the field, but she's going to harvest with you so she can take back and they can eat. And furthermore, I don't want any of you boys looking at her out of the side of your eye. I don't want you thinking about her. I don't want you laying a hand on this girl. That's what he told them. She was a widow. Don't you lay a hand on her. Don't you touch her. And so in the second chapter, we find that he, this is where he notices her. In her hardship, in waiting on breakthrough, God was making a way for her. God was making a way for her to eat. Now, us in our natural, we would have said, oh, man, that guy was really nice. I don't know why he did it, but he just let me, like, come in the field and, and, and gather with everybody else. Long story short about Boaz is that back there in the culture, it was customary that if a husband died, that... Someone in his family was to marry the woman. So, you know, she wouldn't be without and can carry on the family name and so forth. Long story, you know, 25th cousin removed and all sorts of stuff. We find out that Boaz is part of that family 
of Naomi's family. And so he becomes her, what they call the book of Ruth, as the kinsman redeemer. He comes in. He actually marries Ruth. They have a son by the name of Obed. Obed means worshiper. Oh, y'all, come on. It means worshiper. So in verse 22, we find out that Obed, their child, is the father of Jesse. And Jesse is the father of David, the king of Israel, and the ancestor of Jesus Christ. Y'all want to know why that's important? Let me tell you why. In accepting life as it played out and the circumstances, not only that she was in, but in the circumstances that her mother-in-law was in also, because you do not live and die unto yourself, your life affects other people. And by working and doing everything she knew to do, in the midst of the hardest times of her life, with sweat running down her brow as the dirt from the fields fields filled every crease and crevice of her body while her hands were rough, cracked, and calloused, and gathering gathering grain while her back was hurting, her breakthrough came. Her breakthrough came when God directed Boaz's eyes and he caught a glimpse of heaven in hers. While she was doing what she knew to do, her breakthrough came. Are you doing everything that you know to do? Are you doing everything that God has asked you to do? Well, he wants me to do this, but I don't know about that. That's just not something that I would do. Is God asking you to do something? Do it. Well, I'm just not comfortable with that. Your breakthrough and your comfort do not reside in the same area code. They do not. You want to do something for God, you're going to have to step out. You have to step out. You see, truly, it's not how you start out, it's how you finish. Ruth came from an incestuous lineage, but she became the great-grandmother of King David. Her life is an example of how God can change a life and take it in, in a direction that he has foreordained. And we see God working out his perfect plan in Ruth's life. He took her out of a lineage of a child-sacrificing, child-prostituting, idol-worshipping idol lineage and put her in the lineage of Jesus Christ, our Savior. What can he do with you? Well, you don't know where I came from. You don't know what my family's like. You don't know what my family's like. I was raised heathen. What does that mean? We didn't talk about God. We didn't go to God. We didn't go to church. There was no godly principles in my household growing up. But God said, Deborah, you're going to be different. Your grandmother prayed for you. I don't care what your mama did. I don't care what your daddy did. I don't care that you don't even know your daddy. But I do know him now. I don't care. Because you're going to be set different. You're set apart. Changing the trajectory of a family line. Could you imagine? What have they said? Gigs? Where you came from? Your little backwoods? Here in Dayton? Over there? Bastrop area? Jasper? You in the lineage of Jesus Christ, you don't know, but you're the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ. What? You don't know where I came from. You don't know where I came from. 
Well, let's talk about somebody who came from a decent lineage. Joseph. Y'all remember Joseph? Joseph, the coat of many colors. It's a coat of many colors that my mama made for me. That's a Dolly Parton song if y'all don't know that. Okay, never mind. Y'all too young. Thank you. Thank you, girl. Woo! Here's what I, I do know, guys. I know that God can give you an overall picture of your life, but he's not going to give you the step-by-step on how to get there. Joseph is a prime example. So at the age of 17, while he was out working his daddy's sheep in the field, he had a dream. And so he comes back and he tells his brothers, he says, y'all, I got a dream. Let me read it to you. It's in Genesis chapter 37. Joseph being 17 years old, 17, woo, was pastoring his flock, pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy of the sons of Billah and Zilpah, his father's wife. And Joseph brought a bad report back uh, of them back to his father. Now, Israel loved Joseph. Israel is actually Jacob. Israel is Jacob. Jacob is Joseph's daddy. So Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. And when his brothers saw that their father saw that their father loved him more than all the other brothers, they hated him. They hated him. Those are strong words. They hated him and could not speak peaceful, peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers, they hated him even more. As twice over they hated him. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, there we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Sheaves. And his brother said to him, Are you out of your mind? You think you are above us? You think you're going to reign over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. He was just sharing a dream he had. A God-given dream. I have dreamed all my life, not knowing what my dreams meant. Again, I was raised in a heathen house. I didn't know the dreams that I was having were spiritual dreams. I would tell my mom the dreams that I had, and she's like, well, that's interesting. That's interesting. That's weird. My brother would say, you're weird. That's just the nice way of putting it, y'all. We in church, I can't tell you what he said. He hated me even more. I'm just going to say So these words, um, these were the words that fueled the fire of their hatred, hotter for for his brothers. He had another dream and told his father. And when he told his father the dream that the sun and the moon and the stars were bowing down to him, he rebuked his father. His father rebuked him. He didn't rebuke his father. His father rebuked him. What, you think that we're all going to bow down to you? Who do you think you are? I'm your father. That's crazy. Y'all, here's the interesting thing about Joseph's story. Joseph's story covers 14 chapters in the book of Genesis. So from chapter 36 to chapter 50, that's 14 chapters. That's one of the biggest stories talked about in depth. There is so much in the story that it's just amazing to me. So here's the deal. Um, After having the dream, his brothers were again out in the field tending to the sheep. And the daddy said, 
look, I need you to go and check on them. We ain't heard from them in a while. I don't know where they are. And so Joseph heads out, and he stops and asks, uh, Siri, Siri, where are my brothers? And she says, uh, take a left and go east or go west down 90. So he starts heading west down 90, down the river bottoms, and um, his brothers were over in Dayton. And they saw him coming on the, on the river flats, and uh, they said, you know, here comes that little jerk. I have, we're going to kill him. We hate him. Let's kill him. Yeah, let's kill him. We're going to kill him. So as he's coming and making his way, they're devising a plan of how to kill their brother. They're like, hey, we're going to throw him in this pit right here. We're going to throw him in the ditch right over here that they left, that road construction that's not finished. We're going to throw him in the ditch right here. And here's what we do. We're going to go kill a coyote that keeps running around here. And we're going to put the blood on his coat of many colors and take it back to daddy and tell him that an animal killed him like oh yeah let's do it let's do it so joseph gets there and they throw him in the ditch and they're like all right let's kill him but then coming on the river bottoms again they see a caravan of midianites and they're like hey you know what rather than killing him let's sell him to the midianites let's make some money off of him they're like okay yeah let's do that so get him out of the ditch brush him off you know get the clay off of them or whatever so they sell him to the Midianites the Bible says that they sell him for 20 shekels do y'all know what the equivalence of 20 shekels is in today's society four dollars five dollars and fifty cents they sold their brother for five dollars and fifty cents you know what that tells me they hated him they didn't want to kill him. They just wanted him gone. No value on his life whatsoever. So they do kill the coyote, put the blood on it, take it back to Jacob. And they say, look, Daddy, coyote killed him. He couldn't fend off the sheep, so the coyote killed him. And here's his tunic. His daddy grieved. That was his favorite child. Child of his old age. Here's what happens. So the Midianites take Joseph and they go into Egypt. So they're selling their slaves. So they put Joseph up on the slave trading block and they sell him to a guy named Potiphar. Potiphar was like one of the head honchos in Pharaoh's army. And so he bought him, took him back to his house. And even with everything that's happening in Joseph's life, Joseph seems to rise above everybody else. Potiphar puts him in charge of his house. So he's tending to the house, doing what he's supposed to. Mind you, keep, keep in mind that Joseph was obedient when his dad sent him to go find his brothers to figure out what was happening to return back to dad and to give dad a report when his brothers decided they were going to get rid of him. Now, being in charge of Potiphar's house, he's doing what he's doing. He's, he's doing what he's been charged to do. Potiphar trusts him. He's doing everything. He's rising above. He's very successful in the Egyptian master's house. And, he, you know, the Bible says that he was a good-looking fella. He was handsome. Well, Potiphar's wife took notice of that. And so she started asking him to sleep with her. He's like, no, I ain't going to do that. She's like, yes starts blinking her eyelashes and he's like no I'm, I got stuff to do get away from me 
And so this goes on a couple times, and Potiphar is away. And uh, again, Joseph is doing what he's supposed to do. She's like, Joseph. Joseph. He's like, no. And she's like, come here. She grabs a hold of him. Come here. Come sleep with me. And he's like, no. And so he spins out of his cloak and his tunic, and he runs well, she starts screaming. She's holding this tunic, so she just starts yelling. Ah, so the guards come running in. What happened? Joseph tried to sleep with me, and he got scared when I yelled. Look, in his, in his scaredness, he left his tunic. What? So when, when Pharaoh gets back, she tells the story again. Pharaoh says, I can't believe you did that. I trusted you. You were in charge of all my house. To the prison, you go. Again. By somebody he trusted. His brothers sell him into slavery. And now because he was doing what he was asked to do faithfully, he was now wrongly accused and now he goes to prison. You think your life is tough? You think you've been shunned by family? You think you've been ousted by your family? You think you've been treated unfairly at work? Joseph's story is just for you. So he, go, he, he gets thrown into prison. Even in prison, he rises above everybody else. Soon the guards make him in charge of all the prisoners while in prison. What? How does this keep happening in his life? While in prison... There are two prisoners who have a dream. They don't know what the dream means. It's kind of troubling to them. So they tell Joseph. Joseph says, hey, this is what your dream means. So he interprets it all and tells them everything. Well, while being in prison after two years, the Pharaoh has a dream. And it's very troubling to him. And someone in his staff says, hey, you know, I know somebody who can interpret that dream for you. He's interpreted dreams for a couple prisoners, and he's been pretty spot on. So Pharaoh says, bring him to me. Bring him in front of me. So they bring Joseph in front of Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh tells him the dream. He's like, hey, look, I'm dreaming. I'm having this dream a couple times. It's the same dream. I'm dreaming there's big seven fat cows, and then all of a sudden there's seven skinny cows. I don't know what it means, but it's very troubling to me. And so Joseph says, look. I'm going to tell you what your dream means. The dream means is that there is going to be seven years of plenty in the land, more than enough. And then the seven cows that are really skinny means that there's going to be seven years of famine in the land. And because you have dreamt it twice, that means it's surely going to come to pass and it's going to come to pass quickly. So because this is going to happen, so Joseph goes on to tell him this is what you need to do. You need to find somebody and put them in charge. So when we hit the seven years of plenty, that they will gather a fifth of everybody's grain. Of all the crops that are harvested, a fifth of yours, a fifth of yours, a fifth of yours, and we're going to put it all in the storehouse so when the famine hits, everybody can still eat. Pharaoh was like, man, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. You know, because you had that great idea, I'm going to put you in charge. And Joseph says, oh, no, not me. Uh-uh. You need to find someone. He says, who else can I find that is wiser than you, who prays to God? Joseph is now put into a position. He's taken out of prison, and now he's put in a position where he's over the land and the food. That's a pretty powerful position to be in in that time. 
Here's an interesting thing. Remember, I read in the verse that he had the dream at, how old was he? 17. He is now 37 years old. 37 years old when he is put into position. King David, when he was anointed by Saul, from his anointing to his appointing, there was 20 years, and actually in the Bible it's 20 chapters, 20 chapters and 20 years from King David's anointing to his appointing. 20 years from Joseph's dream to his appointment. His breakthrough came. He had breakthrough. Where are you at in your God dream or in your appointment? How long has it been? How, long, how, how much further do you have to go before it happens? Ah, let's talk about this. So um, while he was there, so here's, here's how it happened. When they hit the famine, uh, people would come in. And they would say, hey, you know, Sir Joseph, they would bow down because he was part of the king's entourage kind of thing. And uh, it's like, hey, um, I've got this family. It's me and Chuck, and it's our five kids, and we got grandkids, and then it's his mama and sisters and brothers, and I got a mama, sister, brother, daddies, brothers. And so you would give your list of all your family, and they would say, okay, here is your allotment of grain for you and your family. Now, you're supposed to go and use it sparingly. So you go and do that. So while Joseph was in position, he saw these guys walking in. His stomach sunk. He got a knot in his throat as he soon realized that the men that were coming before him and bowing down to him were his brothers. His brothers. They're like, sir, you know, we need food for our family. Our dad's back home with our little brother. And Joseph is just like, he doesn't even know what to do. This goes back and forth several times uh, with Joseph and his brothers. And he's like, uh, so you have a father. And they're like, yeah, our father's back at home. Um, so you, with a little brother, yeah. So you have a father that's alive and a brother, uh, brother that's alive, but they're back there at home. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, sir, that's correct. Well, go bring me your brother. I mean, go bring your dad. Bring your dad here. So they leave, and as they leave, uh, Joseph has some stuff put in the, the packs of the animals and because uh, he's like, I need to see if these dudes have changed. These are the same dudes who sold me into slavery. I need to see if they changed or if they sell the same old dirty scoundrels just trying to make $5.50 off me. I need to see. So they go, they say, hey, Dad, you know, this guy wants to see you. He's in charge of all the food and stuff. You know, they, they want to see you. And his dad says, no, I'm not going. I'm not leaving your brother. So they go back to Joseph. And they're like, hey, look, dad don't want to come. We got the little brother at the house. He don't want to leave him. Oh, by the way, we found this in our sacks. We don't know whose it is. It's not ours, sir. So we're going to leave it to you, you know, kind of like we're going to put it here and just take a step back. It's not ours. So Joseph saw that they had changed. And it so struck Joseph. The Bible says that he could not control his emotions and that he left their presence and he went into his room and he cried and he washed his face. And then he came back out and said, look, this is what I need you to do. I need you to go get your dad and your brother and you need to bring them here. Long story short, his dad and brother come. 
And he tells his brother, I'm Joseph. Do you not recognize me? I'm Joseph, the one you sold into slavery. And they're like, oh, we are so sorry. <laughs> we are so sorry. And, and they're hugging and kissing, and dad comes, and it's like, oh, my son of my, youth, my, son of my, of my old age, he's still alive. Dad, I'm still alive. I'm still here. How are you? Oh, my gosh. So here's what happened, guys. In the midst of his breakthrough, in the midst of his breakthrough of being put in a position where he had control of the food and the land, God doesn't stop with just breakthrough in your lives, bringing you out of the hard places. One of the byproducts of breakthrough is what Ed Edgar was talking about today. That's restoration. That's a byproduct of breakthrough. So the story goes on. Um, the famine happened. Um, Joseph goes before Pharaoh, and he's like, look, this is my dad, and these are my brothers, and this is all their family. And so Pharaoh says, hey, man, do as you want. And Joseph says, I want to provide for them, make sure they're okay. Pharaoh says, hey, whatever you choose to do, I'm okay. You have my permission. So Joseph has his entire family move from where they are into the land of Goshen, and Joseph provides for everyone. Chapter 47, verse 12, and it says, Joseph provided for his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Everybody. Joseph did that. Let me ask you, when you hit your breakthrough, when you hit your breakthrough and you're standing there because God has brought you out of a hard place and your family comes before you, how are you going to act towards your family? Your family sold you into slavery. Your family gave you up. Your family wanted you for dead. How are you going to act towards your family? Well, you just don't know what happened in my life. I just can't forgive that. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. I'm telling you, there's nothing too bad that has happened to you that you cannot forgive. There is no hurt so deep that you cannot forgive. Pastor Jason talked about it in our church hurt series. And I liked what he said. He said, forgiveness is for mature Christians. You have to forgive. It's not an option. You want the benefits of breakthrough? You want the byproducts of breakthrough? You better forgive. Because when your family comes before you and tells you they're sorry, you have to be able to say, I forgive you. I forgive you. As time passes, his dad dies, and his brothers were so afraid after dad died. They're like, oh, crap. Now he's really going to give it to us. He's been holding his anger, his wrath all these years. Now that dad's died, he's really going to, like, oust us. He's going to have us killed. And so this is what it says in Genesis 50, verse 20 and 21. 
Joseph tells his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Wow. Wow. You meant what you meant for evil. God meant for good. Everything, the Bible says, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. All things. Even the bad things that I've been through, even the bad things that you've been through. Well, how does that happen? Because when people see that the bad things that you have been through, that you have survived and you still love God and you're serving God with all your heart, that gives them the hope. That returns hope to their life. The hope that was taken from the circumstances of their life when their family turned their back on them. When you didn't have anybody, I didn't have anybody to help me. Who helped you? God helped. God. All things work together for the Lord. I want to talk about three things now that I've told you the stories of breakthrough of people in the Bible. I'm just going to let y'all know I have struggled with this sermon. I already had it done like a month ago. And it's changed. Even this morning it was changing. I was going to talk about two women I had like one or two lines about Joseph, and that was it. One woman's completely taken out. We didn't talk about Tamar. And it's extensive about Joseph. So that tells me that there's a lot of family junk that's happening. As for you, my family, as for you, mother, as for you, father, What you meant for evil, God means for good. He's going to take it. He's going to use it, y'all. Why? Because there's more hurting people just like you who needs to hear your story. He needs to hear your story. Let's talk about three things when we are waiting on our breakthrough. Three things that we need to do. The first one is to focus. We have to focus on God and his voice. We must learn how to focus on God's voice amid all the other voices in our lives. Loved ones who tell you, you should be over this life circumstance already. Friends who try to help you and tell you that it's time to find another spouse. You've been single way too long. The enemy who tries, who tells you that there's something wrong with you and that you'll never get out of debt. You'll never get married. You'll always be alone. You'll never have friends. You'll never amount to anything. You need to focus on God's voice. We have to take every thought captive, y'all. John 10 and 5 says he leads them and they follow him because they are familiar with his voice. They won't follow a stranger's voice but will scatter because they aren't used to it. Because they aren't used to it. 2 Corinthians 10 and 5. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Focus on God. Let's talk about number two. It's understanding. Understanding where you are. Understand that change happens to everyone. We have to understand where we are in life and what stage we are in. 
You are in an ever-changing life. Your life's always changing. Your seasons are changing. Be attuned to where you are. Yesterday, I was sitting outside across from my daughter, and she was holding my grandson. And I almost was so, so overwhelmed as she was sitting there and she was playing patty cake with him. She was feeding him. And I was thinking about the message today and how long I waited on breakthrough for her in her life as she was addicted to drugs. Almost 10 years. How long will you wait on breakthrough? God, do whatever it takes in her life, Jesus. Whatever it takes to get her on the right path, God. If I'm in prison and I'm ministering and I look over and I see my daughter, I'm not going to be surprised, God, because I know you work all things together for the good. And to see her changed. Truly a miracle. Truly a breakthrough in her life. Doing something completely different understand where you are we have to understand uh, where we are and we have if we don't then we need to educate ourselves about what's happening in certain life stages we have such access to the internet everywhere you go you can get wisdom about anything just google it just become a googler that's what I am I'm a googler just google it even here at freedom we have resources available for you we have meetups. Educate yourself. We have, you can be mentored. If you need counseling, come to us. Let us know. We can hook you up with a counselor. Through education comes understanding. Understand you're in a transition. Life will not always be like this. I know sometimes life is so hard and you think it's never going to change. Oh, my God, this is it. This is, the, this is for eternity. I'm going to be right here. It's always going to be like this. No, it's not. Chuck and I have been building uh, our home uh, at the ranch for the last four years. It's been 84, I mean, just four years. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we used to have to park our vehicles up by the front gate because our driveway is a thousand foot long driveway and it was just, we just graded the ground and he just kind of stacked up the, uh, mounded up the clay out there but when that clay gets wet you don't drive a vehicle on it it don't matter if it's four-wheel drive or not you ain't driving on that clay okay and so as i would walk y'all ain't lying in the morning i used to uh go to work i was working at lyondale and it's rainy i always have my mud boots on got everything packed on my shoulders and i'm walking on this mud, trying not to slip and fall so I can get to work without being muddy. And it's dark when I would leave the house because I would leave the house like at 5.30 in the morning. And as I'm walking through the little S-curve that we have, I have the flashlight and I'm shining it up and down because I'm looking for the spider webs that have made their way to the other trees across the road. And I'm walking to make sure I ain't got one of those big black, black and yellow zipper spiders like you know, as a hair barrette or something. And I'm walking, and I would say, this is only for a season. Only for a season. Then soon we got rock, and we got a rock driveway. 
So now when I get out of my vehicle and I manually go open the gate, drive the truck through, close the gate, then get back in the truck, I'm telling myself it's only for a season because pretty soon I'm going to push a button and the gate's going to open. <laughs> pretty soon we're going to have a house built out front and I'm not going to have to climb stairs anymore. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Okay. It's only for a season. Your life is not always going to be like this, and this hardship will not always be here, guys. But we think it is. We think it's like that. Through education comes understanding. Woo. Understand that the choices you make now will make your future. You know, when we're born... We look like our parents, right? So one of the traits in my family with my children is a big forehead. Okay? Four, five, six, five finger, five. Anyway, so my son, you know, he's kind of sarcastic, kind of like Miranda. But um, he, uh, when you were born, you look like your parents. And he said, I'm pretty sure I got that from you, Mom. It's like, thanks. But when you die, you look like your decisions. When you're born, you look like your parents. But when you die, you look like your decisions. That's kind of tough. We gain knowledge by listening, by studying, and by experience. We have wisdom because we choose to apply the knowledge that we have gained. You must apply your knowledge. What knowledge do you have that you are not applying in your life? Well, I don't know if I need to use that. We'll try it and see what happens. See if that key unlocks the door. Colossians 1 and 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with knowledge the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Colossians 2 and 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all wealth that comes from the fullness, full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself. Understand where you are. Apply the knowledge that you have gained. Do you know how you become a wise person? You take note of all the times that you have failed, what went wrong, what, what went right, and as you go through life, you continually do this, and then that gives you the wisdom to see a circumstance for what it is, and like, I don't need to do that. I need to do this because that's the same situation as such and such. That's where your wisdom comes from. It's like, I'm not going to touch the stove again because last time I did it, it burned me. So I'm going to apply my knowledge and be wise about this and not touch the stove. That seems pretty silly, right? It's in every aspect of your life. Every aspect. All right, so let's talk about the third thing, a breakthrough. Sometimes we have to hold to the promises of God. Promises. Let's talk about the promises. I'm going to give you 10 of those promises today. 
There are hundreds of promises in the Bible, y'all. One is Psalm 1817. I will live and not die. Sometimes you have to tell yourself that because you think that you are literally going to die. Deuteronomy 28 and 13. I am the head and not the tail. Again in 28, 13. I am above and not beneath. Hebrews 13 and 5. God is with me. God, I don't know where you are. I feel so alone in this situation. God is with me. If you get anything out of today's message, get that. Hebrews 13, 5. God is with me. Hebrews 13, 5. God is with you. Hebrews 13, 5. God is with me. He is with me. Psalm 119, 185. I am at peace. Are you at peace? Is your life peaceful? Because when all hell is breaking loose in your life, you can say, I'm at peace. It is well with my soul. Isaiah 28 and 12. I am at rest. Colossians 1 and 10. I am fruitful. 2 Corinthians 9 and 10. I am a multiplier. Isaiah 54 and 17. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. I see the weapons and they have been formed. But I'm telling you, devil, they are not going to prosper. They are not going to prosper. 1 John 5 and 4. I am victorious. I am victorious. I don't see it. I don't see my life as a victorious life, but I am proclaiming it because that is what the scripture says I am. And I'm believing the word of God. Do you ever feel like hardships kind of take a domino effect in your life? I'm just waiting for the next shoe to drop. I'm waiting for the next bad thing to happen. Of course that happened. Of course they didn't call. Of course I didn't get the job. Of course I'm getting laid off. Of course I got fired. Of course. Of course. Of course. Of course. If we were Joseph, most of us would have thought that God had abandoned us. Do you feel like God has abandoned you? Little did Joseph know that through all these hardships, God was forming his character and positioning him to step into the promise of his life, the purpose for which he was created. These hardships weren't detours or setbacks in his life. They were preparations for his destiny. What you perceive as a detour in life, God sees as preparation for your destiny. While waiting on breakthrough, I think we should be crying out, God, where are you? I think we should be prayerful, prayerfully asking, God, where are you taking me? What am I supposed to be learning right now? Right here, right now, in this circumstance, because I don't understand it. What am I supposed to be learning? I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come. I don't know how you got here today, but I tell you that God had a message for you today. I don't know your story. I don't know what you've been through. Maybe you've been in a church hurt. Maybe you've had a life change. 
Maybe you've uh, moved. Maybe got a new job. Maybe you're here because you were listening to the Holy Spirit and said, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and go to that church. I don't know why, but I just need to go to church today. I don't know if you're 16 or 96, but I do know that God is a God of breakthrough. He is a God of healing. He is a faithful God, that he is a God who will never leave you or forsake you. That is what I do know about God. And I'm telling you, he is here for you today. We have prayer partners. If you feel like you're in a hard place, you're on one of those hard pathways and you just can't see what God is doing. And you need someone to encourage you today. You need someone to speak hope back into you. You need someone to pray or prayer of restoration, of joy back in your life. Bible says, return to me, O God, the joy of my salvation. Return to me, O God. I pray that today your hope is restored. I pray today for strength for your hard pathway. Stand with me, if you would. As I close out in prayer, come and find a prayer partner. Someone who can agree with you. Someone who can just speak to you. Sometimes we just need to feel the Father's love. And if we could just feel Him just for a moment, it's enough for us to make it through. It's enough for us not to give up in life. If someone can smile at us and say, God just really loves you and that's all He wants me to tell you today. That's enough. Thank you, Father. Lord, I just thank you for your word today. I thank you, Father, that this year is a year of breakthrough for your children, for your sons, for your daughters, God. I thank you that you are with me. Hebrews 13 and 3. God is with me. Lord, I ask that you be with each person this week. Give them strength. Give them hope. Be the warmth of the breeze and be the ray of sunshine in their week this, this whole entire week, God. Let them see a change. Give them a glimpse of who they are to be in you. God, I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and His people, to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.